Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Two guests this week, two excellent guests um, for a broad discussion on Leo Messi and his impact on Apple MLS, as well as some other soccer media issues. We have two of the best to cover this. My colleague from The Athletic, Paul Tenorio, who is a national soccer reporter and sports business journal, soccer and hockey reporter, Alex Silverman. Paul and Alex, welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. Yeah, good to be here, Richard. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. All right, Alex. I, I, you're, 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 you're in the Austin Carp spot, so there's a lot of pressure for you here. Let's yeah, big shoes to fill. Let's see if you can deliver. Um, all right, Paul, I want to start with you. It seems like I know you're based in Chicago, but my God, uh, you might as well be Don Johnson and Philip Michael Thomas, given how much time you've put... Uh, in Miami over the last uh, couple of weeks. I want to ask you both a broad question starts, intentionally broad. How do you view, Paul, Leo Messi in terms of what he means to the business of MLS? Well, I think he's certainly a, a game changer in the on the commercial side of things in the short term, for sure. Like, if you talk to teams around MLS that are going to host Miami this season – the amount of revenue that they're going to do in those games for, for the teams, at least that don't have substantial season ticket bases is incredible. And I, it provides a, a massive pop to some markets like, like where I live here in Chicago. Um, in the long term, I think it remains to be seen. Certainly he's going to bring in more eyeballs and that's really, really important, but that could also be just a short-term pop. It's about what Major League Soccer does with that expanded audience. Can they make those people stick around for more than a couple games, for more than a couple seasons? I think if they're able to leverage his presence into the league in the right ways, it can be a massive boost to the league, to its perception around the world. And then that, of course, has a big impact on the commercial side of things. But it is going to be based on what the league and its owners choose to do that impact it more than just Messi playing. I think we've seen when Messi leaves a team like PSG in the, in the couple days after he left PSG, they lost several million social media followers. Like he does have fans that follow him, but they will leave when he's done. So it's inherent upon MLS to actually take advantage of this. And I, I'm not sure yet what they're going to do if they're going to make the right choices, but I think it can be a game changer. Alex, what about you? I mean, Paul sort of brings that up. 
where's your confidence level lie in MLS ownership taking advantage of however long they have Leo Messi stateside? Yeah, I think, um, you know, to Paul's point, the sustainability question was a big one around um, MLS All-Star when there were a lot of industry folks uh, convening in one place. It was just, you know, this is obviously going to be a huge short-term boost for the league. Uh, Can they sustain it? Um, You know, I think a big part of it is going to be, uh, will other players follow uh, Messi to MLS? You know, uh, people want to watch the best players in the world. And if other MLS owners are willing to, uh, you know, put their money out like uh, Jorge Mas uh, and David Beckham did in Miami, then I think, um, you know, I, I think that they'll be in a better position to to capitalize on on this boost. Uh, and I think Messi has really uh, opened the doors. I mean, you've, you've seen reporting about uh, other other players from overseas who have, you know, all of a sudden said, oh, maybe I would look at uh, MLS uh, down the road. So uh, I think that uh, will be will be a big thing. I mean, if he if if he's the only star in the league and then he leaves, then then like Paul said, I think they're kind of back to where they were beforehand. I want to follow, uh, continue with you. Uh, Alex, uh, over the last couple of days, um, I might be the last, yeah, I mean, depending on when you listen to this, it, it, it should still be the last couple of days, but, um, you're reporting Alex with John O'Rand. Is John, o- is John O'Rand a new reporter for you guys? That, that's not a name I've heard of, but it seems like he's got a, he's got a good future on his hands, but you guys, <laughs> um, you, <laughs> yeah, you guys, you guys reported one of the first to report, in fact, at least some kind of numbers in terms of what Messi's um, signing has potentially met, meant for subscriptions to MLS season pass. And what you guys reported was the numbers were closing in on a million subscriptions. What's not clear, and my guess is that you probably guys don't have this, is you know how much of that is like new subscribers versus the season ticket holders in, in MLS who were given a free subscription, like how much is broken down like internationally for uh, or domestically. But within, Alex, the reporting that you have, do you have any kind of takeaways in terms of um, what Messi individually has meant in terms of subscriptions to MLS season pass? Yeah, um, I think at the, I believe it was in June when we sort of first got our initial uh initial indication of where they were at and it was around uh in the 700 thousands um and then when uh before Messi played played his first game but you know when it was known that Messi was going to be joining the league they were you know in the 900 thousands so uh significant bump percentage wise there and that was before Messi had stepped on the field and uh I think since he stepped on the field uh he's done as much as you could possibly ask for in terms of uh generating excitement with with three goals in, in two games. Uh, so, yeah, I think he's going to have a significant impact, uh, especially internationally uh, on uh, on subscribership. Like you said, we don't know out of the initial uh, cohort how many of them are the season ticket holders and the free trial signups and the T-Mobile uh, subscription giveaways. Um, so, you know, it, it's hard to know exactly how many people are actually paying for this service. Um but I think it's a, you know, I think it is a solid start for them. And then, yeah, I think Messi is is going to be like rocket fuel, uh, particularly outside of, of the U.S. 
Well, we know one, Alex. I paid $49 for the the rest of the MLS season pass uh, here in Canada. So um, we at least know one international subscriber, which would I would Right, that's a good point, too. A lot of uh, prorated signups, uh, you know, as well. I know. Not, I hate giving money to leagues, but in this case, uh, it was worth it, actually, to see even Messi's first game, let alone his second. Paul, I want to ask you this. Like, here's the reality. All of us have tried to, uh, all of us have dealt with Apple in some form. I think you and Alex have dealt with Apple's soccer far more than I have. And they're very proprietary when it comes to any kind of data. They certainly have always been proprietary when it comes to data um, with the tech press. Um do you ever expect that, you know, my thought of all this is always like, if the news is great, well, then maybe they'll put it out there. You know, if somehow they got up to like, you know, 2 million subscribers uh, next year with Messi, maybe they, maybe they throw that number out to the market. But um, they seem very, very tight in terms of your reporting. I know I just asked Alex about it, but have have you got any kind of inkling in terms of like where they are in terms of uh, their Apple MLS deal in terms of subs right now? No, I mean, you're right. They they have kept things very tight and everything that they do, at least the way it's explained to me, is dictated by the fact that it can impact their share price, right? And it's, you know, one of the more valuable companies, maybe the most valuable company in the world, and they don't want anything that could be perceived as negative to impact that price. And um, it kind of works out nicely for Major League Soccer, right? Because I think we've been gauging their growth uh, or maybe lack thereof in the broadcast sphere, looking at the numbers. And there's always been these kind of slight upticks, but the the, the 275, 325,000 odd people who were tuning in week to week, um, it, it always seemed to hover somewhere around there. And, you know, I think this gives MLS some cover to to, to tell stories about other ways that it's growing um, and, and to try to reset narratives. But it doesn't seem like Apple is going to be very forthcoming about what those numbers look like and certainly not about where they come from. I mean, we didn't even get data, for example, the other night when Messi played of, okay, Apple TV is available in 108 different countries or 107 different countries. How many different countries tuned in to watch Messi play? Things like that. Um, they're, they're, those those moments are, are being lost. I would point out, though, Ahead of his second game, Messi's second game on Tuesday, he shared on his Instagram story a link to sign up for MLS Season Pass. He has 480 million Instagram followers. We reported on The Athletic that part of that contract was going to be a partnership with Apple where he would part of the negotiations was getting a cut of any new international subscribers. And there you see what that what that kind of deal provides for Apple and for MLS, of course when you have somebody who's got 480 million followers putting a link up to, uh, to, for people to sign up and try to drive eyeballs, not just to MLS season pass, but to the Apple TV universe, right. To, to that product as well. Um, so it'll be interesting to see that was the first time that he did it. So will that happen every game? And, and, you know, maybe we will start to hear more about the impact that he's having on those subscription numbers. Like you said, if it starts to reach a, a, a point where, the league and especially Apple are really happy with it and feel like it, it speaks to the kind of the strength of the deal versus anything that could be interpreted as a negative. Yeah. And Alex uh, reported that um, as well, that uh, uh, Messi will get additional compensation based on the number of new international subscriptions sold to MLS season pass. I want to go to you, Alex, and then Paul, if you can follow uh, up on Alex, I'd appreciate it. My thought is, and um, it's not any kind of revolutionary thought, that I don't think Leo Messi would be in MLS if 
Apple was not involved. I, I don't think that ESPN or Fox or whomever, NBC Sports or CBS Sports, the conventional legacy outlets, I, I just don't think this would have happened, whether it was the compensation, whether it's how the media deal is structured. So in many ways, um, there is an argument to make, at least, uh, I don't even know how, you know, like holistically or goodwill or excitement-wise, that the, the, the partnership's already a success because they were able to bring the most famous player in the world to a league that most people would have thought this was inconceivable five years ago. So, Alex, do you agree with, like, sort of that thesis that, like, if if MLS had done a traditional media rights deal and we're still with, you know, whomever, Fox, CSPN, et cetera, that the likelihood of Leo Messi coming stateside doesn't happen? Yeah, no, I, I do believe uh, in that. Uh, you know, I, I asked Gary Stevenson, the deputy commissioner, of the league, who's a longtime uh, media executive, do you think this would happen with, you know, a traditional broadcast partner? And you know, he said he hadn't really considered that, but you know, he he did not uh, downplay Apple's role in this by any means. Uh, like you said, I can't imagine if they were still with ESPN that ESPN or, or Disney would be giving Messi a share of ESPN Plus. Uh, signups and Apple can do that because you know media's uh, you know their media's not their bread and butter. It's not their primary revenue driver. Um, one thing that you know I was kind of I kind of learned about I guess by hanging around All Star is a big priority for Apple is to grow their business in in Latin America and specifically on the device sales side they're fourth in market share in latin america uh with only 70 or seven percent of the market there so by you know even if they're giving messi a chunk of what they're bringing in on subscriptions if they're able to sell more iphones in latin america because there's an association there with leo messi uh it's worth it for them so the business calculus is is different for apple than it would be for a traditional media partner and you know, for MLS, like you said, I, I think you could make the case that uh, this partnership's already already paid off uh, in spades. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I get like I understand that you got to eventually judge the deal 10 years from now. But like they have already brought arguably the greatest player of all time to the domestic league. And so to me, that's like I mean, it's going to take a lot of losses to sort of overcome that big win. Paul, you've. um you know, you've done so much reporting on uh, Messi at this point, and I, I wanted you to sort of respond to what Alex said. You know, it just, no, this is no offense to ESPN or Fox, but like if you're Leo Messi and his um, and his team, like the, to be in business with Apple is, is just a very different calculation, right? To be in business with ESPN. Well, definitely. I mean, this is Leo Messi is a global brand. He's one of the biggest global brands in sports, and he's now aligned himself with one of the biggest global brands in business. Right. And yeah, I mean, when we talk about Apple, I think the MLS fans tend to think about that part of the deal that we reported, which is like, yeah, the, the season pass subscriptions. That's not the play here for Apple to Alex's point. The play here is to to 
bring more people to its products, into its universe, however you want to think about that, devices, Apple TV, whatever you can do to, to create a new Apple customer. And, and Leo Messi becomes another extension for them into places like Argentina and Latin America, where they don't have as much reach, but also into places like Asia and Europe, where he's enormously popular. And, and then, of course, you know, his impact here in the in the US North American market. And, and so it just feels like it's a, a partnership that's very aligned. Um, I, I don't know what would have happened if that part of the deal didn't exist. If, if MLS had a, an ESPN deal or something like that, you know, would MLS, would Inter-Miami have been able to put together a deal that was enticing enough for Leo Messi? Maybe. I, we have to, to recognize that the, the economic situation at Barcelona really impacted Leo Messi's decision. You know, he, he came out and said he wanted to go back to Barcelona, but he just didn't feel comfortable going somewhere where he couldn't know for certain what his future was or what the club's future would be if they signed him. And and so it kind of, in a, in a way, narrowed the choices down. And I think that equity stake in Inter-Miami is another area that gives Leo Messi kind of a long-term play and long-term stock in the growth of the sport that links him to wherever soccer is going to go, wherever MLS is going to go over the next 10, 15, 20 years, much in the same way that David Beckham's expansion um, clause did in his initial contract signing with the LA Galaxy. So there are these other factors, but yeah, I mean, I, you you look when you look at the overall deal, you have to think that one of the biggest and, and most attractive parts of this contract was partnering with such a, a massive company. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. I want to stick with you, Paul. Um, and this is like a very broad question. But if I was going to talk to you in 2033, how would you like what would you want to judge the Apple MLS partnership on? Like what? And again, it's intentionally open ended, whether you want to say X amount of subscribers or MLS is now the third best league in the world, whatever it is for you, how would you judge success on that partnership? I think the success would have to be closing the gap uh, around the world in terms of quality of play on the field for Major League Soccer. Th they've improved the quality of play. They have expanded their role in the global transfer market, both in buying players and in selling players, developing players, all of those things. But there's still a long way to go, just even, first of all, to be the most dominant league in North America. They're still chasing Liga Mekis for that honor. And, and certainly beyond that, to try to compete with the, the big leagues in Europe. And we see that. We see that they're failing in that level of competition, not just in the product on the field, but in the number of people who are tuning in to watch those leagues, right? Liga Mekki is the most popular league on television in this country, and the Premier League is behind them at number two, and MLS falls in line with the rest of the leagues. And and I think that Apple has the ability to, to push MLS forward to demand that they get a better product on the field because now you have to literally sell the league right you have to get people to pay to subscribe to watch you and now you have Messi here as well and and this deal with apple it coincides with a completely unique period of time that presents 
a completely unique opportunity for MLS. You have the Copa America in 2024, the Club World Cup in 2025, the World Cup in 2026, potentially the Women's World Cup in 2027, and then the Olympics after that. You have this massive stage for the sport in North America, in the United States, and concurrent with that, you have Leo Messi for two and a half to three and a half years. If not now, when is MLS going to react and grow and push the product a little bit further? And and that doesn't necessarily, I wrote a piece that ran on Thursday that it, it doesn't have to be a huge increase in spending. It just can be a change in how you allocate that money, where you allocate that money. And these are the discussions that are starting to happen um, we were, Alex and I were asking a lot of questions about it as the, the board of governors meeting let out last week in Washington, DC. And I thought owners were hinting that they were considering it, but they weren't really, it didn't seem like they were, there was any urgency to it necessarily. So I will judge the success of the Apple deal on whether or not that partnership in conjunction with this moment in time pushes the league forward to a place where it is taken more seriously by a, a wider a, a wider spectrum of audience than it does today. And that's that's both domestically in its standing with the American sports leagues and also internationally in its standing in the global soccer, the global football landscape. Um, it's a big ask, but it's not an impossible one. And I think when you look at the amount of investment that's happened in infrastructure for MLS, the stadiums and the training facilities that have been built, the valuations of these teams, uh, Don Garber pointed out that the valuations of these teams ha is now at $15 billion. The wealth of the ownership group, some of the richest people in the world own MLS teams. All of It's all there to go and do now. Um, the question is just a matter of like how much MLS wants to do it and, and do they believe the math is there? It's kind of a chicken or an egg, right? You want to increase revenues before you spend more. Um, people want to see a better product before they tune in and and... And so which one's going to come first? And, and, and I think that for me, success means Apple, this partnership um, pushes the league into that next uh, area of growth, that next um, era of growth. And if that doesn't happen, I, I think I'll feel let down. That's interesting. It's a really good in-depth answer. Alex, I, um, I want to go... Um I want to go to you on this and you know it's so interesting like we're going to see a lot of stories like is this now the moment for soccer in the u.s well the u.s is already a soccer country that's, to me that's not really the the conversation to have the conversation to have about about Messi and the apple mls deal is what does this deal do ultimately for mls and does mls as paul said sort of make a little bit of a jump that's the interesting question for me but from your perspective and you may look at it differently given that you know you work for a business publication where where paul and i work kind of for more of a uh um, like a mainstream sports publication. How will you judge success on the Apple MLS partnership if I was going to ask you this 10 years from now? Well, first of all, I think you nailed it. Um, soccer has been super ascendant in this country. And prior to the messy news, I got the feeling that the soccer wave was going to kind of leave MLS behind. You know, MLS is not the most popular soccer league in this country. And, you know, I think at a bare minimum, uh, that needs to change uh, by the end of the, the term of, of the Apple deal, I think uh, 2033. Uh, you know, it, with a player like Messi coming here, I think that's a good start. Um, and I think, like Paul said, uh, MLS needs to judge itself against the other soccer leagues uh, overseas. But I think it has to be the most popular soccer league in its own country. And, and I think it has to, uh, you know, 
be considered a what we call the big four now. Um, you know, I think uh, surpassing the NHL, which as a lifelong hockey fan, uh, you know, pains me a little bit to say, but uh, you know, I think that's extremely attainable uh, goal. And I think you see with the amount of money that uh, investors are putting into these, these teams, uh, San Diego just spent $500 million on their expansion fee. That's not that much less than the most recent expansion fee for uh, an NHL team. So, you know, I, I think they need to be a big four sport in, in this country. And yeah, I think they need to be uh, competitive uh, on the global stage. And, and, you know, I think with all that comes higher, uh, higher franchise values and um, more revenue. Let me ask you a uh, quick, Paul, um, what, what, just for my listeners, cause I think they'll find this really interesting. What, what is it like to cover Leo Messi in terms of access and can you get any one-on-one -on -one time with him? My sense is probably the answer is probably no there. And then if not, what would like your availabilities be with him, if at all? Yeah, this is a, it's a totally different world covering somebody like Leo Messi. We are such a unique sports media landscape here in the U.S. in terms of access. You can go into any, you can go and get LeBron after every single game he plays in the locker room. And, and that just doesn't exist in the rest of the world. So we have had zero access to Leo Messi since he arrived in the U.S. They had initially an, a press conference scheduled on the Monday after his unveiling. That press conference got, quote unquote, postponed. Uh, there has not been a makeup date. So really, it was canceled. And he hasn't done any media outside of the postgame interview after his debut when he scored that winner. Um, he spoke to both sideline reporters in Spanish and in, well, he, he spoke in, Span in Spanish still, but with the English language and Spanish language sideline reporters on Apple TV. And that's it. Um, I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know if we'll get any chances at one-on-ones. I don't know if we'll eventually get a press conference. You would think so. Um, but he is at another level, even than the, the big stars who have come before him. I was in Orlando working for the Orlando Sentinel when Kaká was here. And, you know, his availability started off much more broad press conferences and things like that as the season wore on he would do some post game post game scrums that, that were set up differently than the open locker room for the rest of the team he would do some post practice availability occasionally with a, with a day's heads up for for media to get there and you know by the end of the season i had developed enough of a relationship that we sat down for a one-on-one -on -one interview and you know i could grab him sometimes on the road in the locker room by myself um, as the only traveling media so um even for somebody like Kaká, who had won FIFA World Player of the Year, had won a World Cup, all of those things, it was different than I think it will be around Messi. I would expect that, for the most part, any media that you see from Messi will be done in two ways. One, a press conference, or two, one-on-one -on -one interviews arranged by the team on specific dates. And and how much and how often that happens, I, I don't know, but I would be surprised if it's very often. Okay. I, I mean, that's that's interesting, and it makes sort of total sense, given I just think he's, you know, he actually may be the toughest interview at this point of any athlete that is currently uh, applying his or her trade in the United States. He's also an introvert. I, I'd add that. He doesn't love doing media in general, so it's not just that he's not used to do, ever doing media that he didn't have to. He, he doesn't like it, and that makes it even tougher. Yeah, this is not Barkley. 
Like this is, you know, <laughs> this, right. I mean, he, he, and by the way, if you're into Miami, <laughs> you don't care about the criticism. You live with it. Like if Messi doesn't want to do an open press conference the way, you know, Maradona did his favorite press conference, famous press conference in Napoli, you're just not going to do it. Um, you know, like he's going to call the shots. Uh, yeah. I just, you know, just to that point, um, you know, at the kind of PR around uh, Inter Miami, it's just been a, a 180. They used, you know, uh, the it used to be very uh, accessible in terms of getting a response from from the club on anything, and you know, it's been. I'm sure they're just crushed with requests from you know outlets all over the world. Uh, you know, I think they're probably experiencing an influx of media attention that you know, unlike anything that any MLS teams ever seen. All right, Alex, I want to uh, finish up with this. Um, Fox has uh, this last World Cup um, cycle in terms of they'll have the 2026 Men's World Cup, which will be, which will set viewership records, uh, you know, to the moon. It's it's far and away the best World Cup you could ever possibly have in the United States. And, um, and I think they have 2027 20, women in that cycle. And then, then as of now, there's no, um, there's no broadcast media rights deal yet. At some point, obviously, that will be up for grabs. Although we know from the last time, it never went up for grabs. FIFA closed bid it, and you know <laughs> that that story in itself has launched a thousand stories. But all that said, Alex, and this is why I want to start with you: if this thing ever went up for bid. I think there are going to be so many companies that are going to want it. I think Apple in particular would break the bank for the World Cup, and I think it would be phenomenal for them. I think you'd see Amazon absolutely go for it. ESPN has already said if the World Cup rights um, ever came up. Jimmy, When I had Jimmy Bataro on this podcast a while ago, he literally said we'd absolutely be interested. So it's not going to lack for interested parties. Um I don't want to overtly bash Fox, but I honestly would like to see a different world. I, I would like to see a different media company have the World Cup again. I thought ESPN did a better job, just to be very blunt, when it came to World Cup coverage. And I'd love to see, uh, heading forward, what maybe another place could could do with it. Um, so a two-part question for you as we wrap up here, and then I'll flip it to Paul. Um, one, you have any thought as to whether you think this will ultimately go up for bid? And then secondly... I would have to think you'd agree with me that the streamers would be absolutely going for this and money might not be an object for them. Well, first of all, yeah, I definitely think the U S rights will go up for bid. The circumstance, uh, by which they, uh, did a, you know, a closed bidding for 2026, uh, was unique in that, you know, they had to move Qatar to the winter and those networks could have potentially, you know, uh, taken legal action, uh, you know, because that was not what they were promised initially. They were promised a summer World Cup. So, um, you know, I don't anticipate a scenario like that uh, coming up again, and it makes the most sense for them to take the rights uh, to the open market. As far as the streamer uh, possibility, you know, Apple's been very clear, you know, we want global rights for any property that, that we take on. If, you know, a deal for global rights to the World Cup would be you know the biggest mega media rights deal of all time um yeah i don't think i'm not sure they could pull that off globally but they can definitely pull it off in the u.s though i think yeah yeah um 
And I mean, if anybody could hypothetically, you know, hypothetically pull it off globally, I guess it would be it would be Apple. You know, I, I think as far as um, uh, yeah, I think ESPN uh, would be a really a destination that I think soccer fans would be really happy about uh, their coverage of 2010 in South Africa and 2014 in Brazil uh, was lauded. Um, so, uh, you know, like you said, I think ESPN will make a play for it. I'm sure Fox will try and retain it. Um, and yeah, I, I think, you know, maybe Apple would make an exception to their, you know, global uh, strategy for a property as big as, uh, as the World Cup to just get the uh, U.S. rights. Um, kind of hard to say, but, you know, that's, that's kind of my thoughts on that. I like that. All right, Paul, I'll let you uh, have the final word. I respect where Alex is coming from, but my sense is Mr. Eddie Q and company may may pull back on there. We we need global domination if somehow they can get the U.S. Uh, domestic rights for the World Cup. I think they may be willing to not necessarily uh, want it all. But I, I just I think you know there's so much focus, understandably, on the NBA meteorites coming up, and Lord knows how much uh, newsprint was spilled on. Um, on the NFL, but man, I, I, the world cup, if you could sort of project the world cup in 2026 being, I think as incredible as we all think following up on Copa America, maybe the 2027 world cup for the women are in the States. Like just think of what those world cup rights would sort of mean for a media entity, like in the next cycle. So I'm fascinated by that, even though I know we're real early. And so what do you think just in terms of, uh, um, you know, in, in terms of where they might go, or maybe just forgetting about where, where they might go, because that's reporting, but who, who you, what, what you would like to maybe see, just in terms of aspirationally for this. Yeah, I mean, it, it's tough to say because so much is changing in our landscape right now, but I think certainly you'd have to think every media company would be in on that. And I even think about something like CBS and how much they're committing to streaming around soccer. One thing that these streaming companies have learned is that soccer fans will pay to go behind a paywall to watch the league that they care about. So if they'll pay to go watch Serie A, if they'll go pay to watch the Bundesliga, to watch the English Championship, all of these different leagues, Major League Soccer, imagine what they would do to get to the World Cup rights. So, yes, you have to think that all of the streaming companies, that Apple, everyone will be in um, and trying to kind of figure out what the price is going to look like. I think that ESPN is the is the kind of the X factor here because their presentation of the 2010 and 2014 World Cups, as Alex said, was fantastic. Journalistically, I thought it was really, really strong. I think that they... they they know that they missed out on 2026 in a way that upset them and should have, frankly. I, I would have to expect them to put a, a significant bid forward. But this is happening at the same time where they, they've been divesting from soccer in some ways. They, they no longer have the Major League Soccer rights. Um, you know, We know that they have some Bundesliga rights. They're trying to push people over to ESPN+. Plus. So what would that look like? What right. will pl- pl- look pl- like? Plus the plus the market forces that are going against them, declining right. uh, cable subs and fixed prices going up for sports rights. So they they have yeah. a lot to deal with. We don't know what's going to happen. And now all the conversations that are happening about partnerships for ESPN and, and maybe discussions happening with the league that they cover. I mean, there are so many changes that could be happening to ESPN in the next few years that it makes you wonder what role they would even have in a bid for something like the World Cup. So it's such a tough call. I, I do hope that it goes somewhere where it feels like there is a complete and total buy-in to put on the best possible production. And 
um, to, to put together as big of a team as possible of, of reporters and journalists and, um, and everyone to go and cover the heck out of those tournaments, it's going to also be a bigger beast than we've ever seen before. I mean, that's, that's the other part of what's going to make 2026 so enormous, not just that it's co-hosted by the United States, but that now it's an expanded World Cup. And so there's more games to cover. There's more ground to cover. And it's going to, I think it's going to make logistics even more difficult and interesting in future World Cups because there aren't a lot of countries that are going to be able to do that on their own. You're going to see a lot more tournaments, I think, that are hosted, co-hosted by multiple countries just to have the venues that they need to, to put on such a big tournament. So um, I, I don't know. I, I, I agree that I think like, you know, for me, I would, I would like to see a, a another company come in and, and kind of at least add some real competition for the first time to to, to Fox uh, for the first time in a long time. Um, but I have no idea what it's going to look like just because of the changes going on at ESPN and and where I think MLS was 100% right was being on the early side of getting behind completely behind streaming. I, I think they predicted the market correctly. And I think we're going to see streaming grow even more over the next few years. And so you know, you're right. Amazon, Apple, those those could be the companies that that lead the way in 2030 around the World Cup. One other thing to keep in mind is that FIFA, uh, with this uh, 2023 Women's World Cup, has started selling the women's rights uh, separately from the men's rights in in places where the the rights were up for bid. You know, it it doesn't seem like they got the level of response from the marketplace that they were looking for. So whether they decide to do that. Uh, going forward or not remains to be seen. I, I think this particular tournament might be an anomaly just because the time zones are really bad for both North America and Europe with it being held uh, in Australia and New Zealand. Um, but that, that's, an, that's an X factor too. I mean, does is there a network that wants to really take ownership of women's sports and specifically invest in the Women's World Cup? And Al but Alex, one thing there is like you would think again. This is just me sort of spitballing that FIFA will have no issues selling those rights in the U.S. Right? This seems to be an issue, particularly maybe in Europe and elsewhere, where they struggled on a price point. Right? I mean the the reality in the U.S. is we're talking significant audience interest in the U.S. national team playing at a World Cup. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see. I think the NWSL rights, which are up after this current season, is going to be a big uh, bellwether for the value of, of women's sports rights. There's been so much buzz around that property. Um, so, you know, I think that'll be a, a good test. I think the women's NCAA tournament, uh, which has been a lot of talk about that being sold as an individual property now, uh, how much uh, does that affect? So, um, I think it sort of remains to be seen. Uh, like you said, obviously the U.S. Uh, I think women's sports, uh, the interest in it is ahead of anywhere else. Um, but yeah, I still think it needs to be proven with um, a few media rights deals. Yeah, you know the the last thing I want to say, and I'm glad that um, that Paul brought it up. Um, it's also a reminder of how fucking long I've been doing this. Perhaps it's God's 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 way of telling me the 2010. Um, presentation of ESPN's coverage of the South African World Cup, I, I can make the argument that's the best thing they've ever done, like in terms of a extended multi-week um, production. 
Uh, I don't know if you guys remember that. You know, obviously, like on in, on an individual term, the best thing ESPN has probably ever done, at least in my opinion, is OJ Made in America. But that's that's sort of on in its own like little silo. Two Escobars are up there too, etc. But like in terms of like capturing an event in a country where you combine the brilliance of the play on the field with everything about the country as like kind of a news presentation, um, you know, the the good, the bad, and the ugly. That to me is the best thing they've they've ever done. Like I left that as a viewer, like understanding South Africa in ways that I never really did as an American sports fan. Um, so to me, and again, I, I I realize that Fox is very different, and they would never sort of do that. But that's my idealized version of how I wish a World Cup was covered in the United States is how what they did in 2010. Yeah, I agree with that. That's that's what I think of as like the standard. It it really was a special tournament and a spe- and I just I they did it right. And and when you experience a tournament like that, I mean it's different for me now. Um I mean, I'm very thankful that I'm at tournaments so I, so I don't really get to experience it as a viewer anymore. Um but that that presentation stuck with me. The the way that they they covered that tournament. Yeah, same. Um All right. Now coming up first take. Very different than the, the coverage of the World Cup. <laughs> All right, Paul Tenario is a national soccer writer for The Athletic. His work on um, Leo Messi coming to Miami has just been unbelievable. I mean, our whole group has been great, but like these guys are absolutely killing it. I, I just I can only hope that the that management appreciates the kind of quality of of work that. Uh, that Paul and, and, and that group are doing because it is very, very hard to break news on Leo Messi. Uh, but they have been doing that. Um, so check him out and obviously check his uh, his Twitter feed out. You'll always get his latest. Alex Silverman does an amazing job at SBJ when it comes to um, the business of, uh, of soccer in the United States. Obviously just broke a story not too long ago with John Oran. Basically the first, at least from what I saw, to get any kind of data on where the Apple subs may be for MLS season pass. So uh, so check out Alex's work in that excellent publication as well as you can follow him on Twitter. Paul and Alex, thanks so much for this. Uh, I hope we can maybe do this, you know, um, six, seven months down the road, just sort of reconnect and, and we'll see where things are um, as uh, as Leo Messi maybe heads to, you know, year two. But uh, but I really enjoyed this and I know, our, uh, I know the listeners will as well. Thanks so much for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. Thanks, Richard. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to uh, Paul and Alex. They were really, really excellent. That was interesting. Um, I- I'm really fascinated by just Messi in MLS, and um, and it's going to be a really, really huge story for the next couple of years. So two of the best uh, when it comes to that topic. If you like these conversations, head to the archives. Uh, got some good stuff. Analyst Michael Nathanson. Uh, we went about 45 minutes on uh, how Disney will handle ESPN. Uh, Bob Iger making a lot of news heading forward. Had the student journalists at the Daily Northwestern who reported on Pat Fitzgerald and Northwestern football. They were great. Neil Everett was on this podcast July 12th uh, to talk about his run at ESPN. Uh, Sally Jenkins was on this podcast uh, late June. Taylor Twelman was on this podcast late June. Again, there should be stuff in the archives that you like. If you do like the stuff, please leave us a five-star review and a nice note. Uh, that's how this podcast continues. I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for all his hard work. Thanks to everybody at Odyssey, and thank you for listening. We'll see you soon in the Sports Media Podcast.